I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. I grew up in a Christian household. I was taught about God. I was taught about Jesus. I made the decision to be baptized. I do remember after being baptized in a pool at 12 or 13, however old I was, I remember thinking that I was going to be a great Christian. My life after that, it looked like anything but the life of a great Christian. My teens, my 20s, you know, I was playing music in rock bands and then coming home smelling like an ashtray and three hours later I'd be playing on the worship team the next morning. You know, I was, I was in situations around people, around girls, doing things I absolutely had no business doing. Come 2019, my wife pulled for me that I had a uh, habitual sexual sin within my marriage for years. I watched things start to crumble right in front of my face knowing that I was responsible for my own sin and suddenly I had a mess that I had made and I had to face the fact that I didn't have a good strong Christian character. I came to the heart of addiction and I got a chance to see see real Christian men not just wrestling with addiction but you know their their own identity. What kept coming up was this idea of submission. And I came to understand that really a problem I had wasn't wasn't so much a pornography problem as it was a control and pride issue. And there was that step I cruised over early on in my life that I never, ever got right. Uh, I started counseling with a trusted Christian friend and he, he wasn't scared to ask me the tough questions. And it finally got to the point where I, I broke. After I surrendered to Christ, it, it's not been perfect, but it has been a time of growth. I'm so thankful to my wife for her patience and her grace. As, as I slowly grow with spiritual growth, I, I start to understand the process of sanctification and that it's not dependent on me, that this is all Christ. Good morning. That was weak. Okay, do, do me a favor. Get your Bible out. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your story. Really amazing. And, uh, you know, we're uh, we're kind of pivoting now in our eight-week series, fall series, to evangelism. And we want to equip you uh, to share the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, and so on your way out today, uh, you can pick up one of these. And we, we, these are some things. I'm going to lean into this next week, actually. Uh, but this week, you could take it with you if you want. And these are some different ways to share the gospel. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying... Um, Always share the gospel if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that saying? And that's a great saying, but it actually is necessary for you to use words. Uh, you can be a good person, you can do the right things in the community, and people say, man, there's something different about you, but there's actually some specific things that a person has to know and believe to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. And so we're going to kind of give you some of those tools in the coming weeks uh, so that you can share the gospel. Today I want to talk about the mission uh, that Christ has left us with, you know, and you may, and we've, so we've titled the four, eight week series, Open Door. First four weeks is the Lord's Prayer. Next four weeks is evangelism. We're calling this Seek and Save. Uh, and we're getting that phrase from Luke chapter 19 and the story of Zacchaeus. So get your Bible out. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Uh, we would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. Uh, and then get your note sheet out, take some notes while we're doing that. Two quick announcements. We've got Trunk or Treat coming up on the 23rd of October. And uh, we could have some people, if you want to sign 
line up and bring a trunk. That helps us know how many we have coming. If you want to bring your kids, bring your neighbor's kids. 23rd uh, is going to be when right out here on the parking lot, trunk or treat for the kids. Secondly, we've got our baptism class coming up. If you've been thinking about being baptized uh, and declaring your faith publicly to others, and this is really the first step, I believe, of obedience to being a follower of Jesus, we offer a class because we want you to know what you're doing. And then at the end of the month of November, we're going to have our family worship service. We're going to do parent-child dedication, Lord's Supper, and baptism. And that's always a great service. And so if you're interested in being baptized, sign up for that class. We would love to have you. And uh, man, it's great having Maui, by the way. Uh, just so you know, yes, you guys, three of you don't know, Maui came over two years ago as a missionary. She, You'll know her mostly from her ability to lead worship, but we also give her plenty of things to do around here. And uh, and so when COVID hit, her visa ran out. She, we sent her back to Thailand. You've been supporting her as a missionary, and uh, and now you're supporting her as a missionary to us, right? And I know I, my wife and I had her over for dinner. Uh, my wife yelled at me, actually, because she landed on Tuesday, and uh, I reached out to some people, and I pulled out the boss card, and I said, hey, I want Maui to sing this week. And my wife's like, you made her sing? She probably has jet lag or something. And I was like, real compassionate. I was like, She'll be all right. So anyway, so she sang this week, and uh, and so we had her over, and and one of the things that I was telling her uh, among recounting some of my favorite Maui stories when she was here the first time is Maui, as you get to know her and you hear her story, man, she has, like, she's got all the life stories that would allow you to make excuses to not follow Christ, and, um, and I said, Maui, it's really important that you're in America because... We live in a culture where we hold offense, we hold victimization close to the vest, and she could live that way, uh, but because of Christ, she knows freedom and joy, and you will not meet a people, a person, I don't think, that's more, exudes more joy than Maui, and uh, just it's just great to have her back. We were recounting Maui stories. Uh, the last time she was here, English is like her 10th language or something. She speaks an inordinate number of languages, and, uh, and so she was, you know, we always go over the worship set in the back on Sunday morning, just make sure everybody's on the same page. And she was leading that week and she was making sure we were all on the same page. It was Christmas time. And we were singing the ch- the song, What Child Is This? And, uh, and she's announcing, goes, and then we'll go into what, uh, she got the pronouns wrong. And she said, we're going to sing, Who Child Is This? And I said, that's exactly what Joseph was wondering. So uh, there you go. And that's where I landed. Um, speaking of ridiculousness, have you ever done ridiculous, and I don't, you know, have you ever done ridiculous things to see your favorite sports team? Uh, I certainly have, and so you young people won't know this. There was a day in the world where not all of your sports activities, scores, videos uploaded to your phone. Uh, there was a day that if you, before DVRs, before the internet, uh, that you, if you wanted to see your favorite team, and it was going to be on TV, and you couldn't see it live, you had to get a thing called a VHS tape. Anybody ever do this, right? And you plug it into your VCR, and then you make sure the time on the VCR is right, because if it kicks on at the wrong time, you got your time wrong, and ain't going to record the game, right? (laughs) You have to make sure the channels are lined up. You pray to God the power doesn't blink because then it ain't going to record, right? And you record your game. How many of y'all record? How many have done that? First of all, you got to be old. <coughs> Spencer, you're not old enough to have done that. You've done that. How many of you recorded over your wedding video? Anybody? Like, oh, honey, we didn't need that anyway. So, 
you know, and just videoed it and you watch it later. I, um, I've done some crazy things. I made, I, well, I almost got booed in the first service. So I won't tell you guys how I made my pregnant wife run through an airport, uh, nine months pregnant to catch our connector because it was Michael Jordan's last game in the Chicago Bulls uniform. I'm like, we got to catch this plane, babe. I won't tell you that story. Uh, terrible. Uh, I did that once. I, there was a day when the internet was new and the, uh, I'm that old. Okay. The internet was new. And, uh, and I, the only way you could get the internet was through a phone line. Anybody do that? Right. Remember to the P-dong, P-dong, you know, you're waiting for it to load up. And so I, uh, I purchased the thing where I could listen to my favorite football team over the internet, the radio, and to go in another room, I, took the baby monitor out of the baby's room and I put it in front of the heart of the desktop speaker so I could go in another room and listen to the game. I'm sure the baby was fine. And, uh, and so I did that. And then uh, last couple years ago, I was in Haiti. They didn't have Wi-Fi where we were staying in Haiti, but they did have a, a hardwired internet cable. And I wanted to watch the Seahawks and the internet cable came out of the wall about this far. Okay, that's it. So I had to plug my laptop into it at 10 o'clock at night, and I literally sat on a tile cold floor this close in the corner of the wall with my laptop with my neck crane for two hours while I watched the football game on the cold floor. And let me just say, worth it, okay? Worth every second. And I've done some crazy things, right? And so, you know, some people might call that crazy. You've probably done some of that stuff too. I call it passion, all right? Or, you know, with a little passion, a little ingenuity, a little perseverance, uh, you can find a way to watch your game. When we talk about seeking and saving the lost, there's nothing crazier than, when, than what God in Christ has done for us. I mean, if you think about the King of Kings, I mean, Philippians chapter 2 kind of gives us some insight where the Apostle Paul says, have the mindset in yourself that Christ had for us. The King of Kings did not consider equality with God something to be held on to so tightly. He was willing to give that up take on flesh. You know, in fact, when we see Christ face to face, and of course, he'll have his glorified body that we will get one day, but he'll have a body. And that's going to remind us of the humility of Christ, the great lengths from God's perspective, the craziness for God to seek and to save the lost, right? He did not consider equality of God as something to be grasped, but took on flesh all the way to the point of death, even, even death on the cross. That is what Christ has done for us so that we might be in a relationship with our creator. And, and so what I want to give you now this morning as we talk about seek and save, and we're going to look at the passage of scripture where that comes from in Luke chapter 19, and I just want to unpack some things this morning, uh, but, but the, the mission mission of the gospel and bringing heaven to earth, if you will, as we sang about in the second song, that's now been turned over to us, you know, and, and I kind of said this during our prayer, like why, how come when we become a Christian, God doesn't just take us into eternity, right? Like my soul is saved. I'm right with God by grace alone, through faith alone and the personal work of Christ. Why not? Why leave us here? Because this is hard, right? Anybody have a hard week? Four people. Wow, everybody else had a great week. That's fantastic, right? It can be hard. You can go to the doctor and get a horrible health report. You can have kids that are wandering from the Lord. Like, you know, it's hard, right? Olga, you're serving in Ukraine. Uh, it's probably hard, right? There's some 
heart-wrenching stories going on. Why, why does God leave us here? He leaves us here because in t- for this little season called life, it's just a little season of your total existence. This little season, we're on mission. We, Christ came to seek and save, and now we get to promote the message of how Christ seeks and saves the lost. That's why you're here, right? There won't be evangelism when you get to heaven. I don't know if you ever thought of that. Like, there's going to be a lot of amazing things we do here that we'll do in heaven. We will not do evangelism when we get to heaven. It's our job to take the message of Christ. And so we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. I'm just going to read it this morning in Luke chapter 19. I was going to retell it, but it stands on its own. It's a great story. So here we go. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho as he was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. I mean, talk about doing crazy things to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. And so He hurried, he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. These are the religious people, right? They saw it and they grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything... I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the son of man, here's the mission, Christ says, came to seek and to save the lost. Let's do this. Let's pause and pray. Okay, and then we'll jump in this morning. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. I'm sure many of us remember it in a, in a Sunday school song, but God, it's really an incredible story. Uh, Thank you for Zacchaeus and his humility, God, that teaches us how we're to pursue you. Thank you for Christ who seeks and saves God and kicks in the door of our sinful and rebellious hearts, God. We're, We're dead in sin, if not for the work of you and you alone. And so we praise you, God, for giving us new life, not because we deserve it, but because that's what you wanted to do to exercise your glory in and through our lives, God. We're so humbled. We're so undeserving of your grace and of your mercy. And God, now we want you to use us. We even started mid-service, like we started thinking about who is it that we can be praying for, God? Give us some people in our lives we can be praying for, God. We pray that even today, the Spirit of God would go in advance of some interactions we may have with some people in our lives, God, and prepare their hearts to hear about Jesus or be invited to church and come to church and hear about Jesus. We ask all these things in Christ's most precious name. Amen. I want to jump in in chapter 19. In order to do chapter 19, I want to go back to chapter 18, okay, and spend just a little bit of time on chapter 18, because I really believe what the author Luke here is doing is doing what I'm calling a contrast of hearts. So point number one is a contrast of hearts. 
We see, so when we're explaining the gospel, part of our job is to know how to explain the gospel, which I'm going to get to next week. But this week I want to talk about, we have to be discerning around heart posture, okay? And what we see in chapter 18 is the heart posture of the rich young ruler. Now, I'm not, I didn't read all that text, but I'll retell it quickly. A lot of you guys know the story of the rich young ruler. What's fascinating in chapter 18 and chapter 19 is the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus culturally speaking, are about the same person, right? They're wealthy, they have authority, uh, they, they have all the things that the world would give you, right? All the things we would say, would this makes you successful in life? Both of these characters in these stories have. So the rich young ruler in chapter 18, he comes to Christ and he asks a very important question. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to imagine that you out in the community have been taking evangelism seriously. You see your life as on mission. You see your life as a missionary. You've been out in the community. You've been building relationships with some people that to your knowledge don't know Jesus. And you've been working hard at it, man. You've been using your time, talent, and treasure, right? You've been, you, you've been serving your neighbor. Let's say your neighbor. You've been serving your neighbor, cutting their lawn, taking care of their pets when they're away, baking them goodies at the holidays, inviting them to church, trying to strike up spiritual conversation. They shoot you down. They shoot you down. They shoot you down. And finally, this is the week, right? You go, I say, hey, you want to come to church with me this week? And they say, yes, I do. You know what? I'll go. And you're so excited. And you come to Coastal Church and you're super excited because you're like, thank God, Pastor Schultz, I'm preaching about money this week. You know, that's your biggest fear when you bring a guest, right? Right? You brought a guest. He's like, oh my goodness, he's preaching on tithing. And so uh, I can't believe it. And preach and the gospel and the spirit of God does something. And your neighbor looks at you and after the service and goes, man, how do I inherit eternal life? Would you be excited? Yeah. Four people. Wow. All right. We got our work to do in the next four weeks. Let's go. People. Would you be excited? I hope so. So you go, you know what? I'm going to bring them up to pastor Sean and see what pastor Sean says. And so you bring your neighbor up And they say, I need to know what I need to do to inherit eternal life. And I look at your neighbor and I go, here's the deal. Don't lie. Don't murder. Honor your parents. Don't steal anything. Do these things. You should be fine. How many of y'all would be okay with that presentation of the gospel to them? Anybody? All the Baptists are just snarling. You know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. We know that how this goes, right? Why does Jesus, because that's what Jesus does with the rich young ruler. Pretty fascinating, right? Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't Jesus say, repent and believe in me? God loves you and has a wonderful memory. Let me give you the bridge illustration, a little, all the little illustrations we're going to give you, right, to help you share the gospel. Why does he do that? Why does he give the law of God? He gives the back end of the Ten Commandments, and he says, if you do these things, you should be okay. Why does he do that? Because you know what he's... Well, he's Jesus, so he's 100% right, right? <laughs> All the time. And so, like, he's 100% right, right? If we could keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, we would actually go to heaven because we'd be perfect. We're to, the Ten Commandments are the character of God. 
See, your issue is not that you're a little sinful and you need a little savior. Your issue and my issue and your neighbor's issue is they're dead in sins. What we need is new life. And we're supposed to read the Ten Commandments and go, I've broken every single one of them. I can't keep them for a moment apart from the work of the Lord. The rich young ruler was supposed to hear the ten, the back end of the Ten Commandments and go, yeah, I've dishonored my parents, and yes, I've lied. And by the way, maybe he heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you say that you hate your neighbor, the seeds of murder are already in your heart, right? So he should already know. And I know all of you are good Christian people and you're here this morning, so you would never hate anybody, but maybe you just dislike them a little bit. Like, who do you dislike, right? Who do you dislike? There's somebody that's wounded you, right? And you're probably on most days not wishing them the best. The Bible says that dislike, that hatred are the seeds of murder. The rich young ruler is supposed to say, man, I have not kept these. But what did the rich young ruler say? Anybody? All these I've kept since I was a kid. I'm good. And so what Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? One thing you lack. What does he tell him? Anybody know the story of the rich young ruler? Sell everything, sell everything you own, give it to the poor and you'll get in. Now at face value, you would read that and go, I guess you can buy your way into heaven. Is that a good gospel presentation? Somebody needs to tell Jesus, okay? Like it's not a good gospel presentation. No, what Jesus is trying to get is to his heart posture. You think you're okay. And I'm here to tell you, your heart is captivated by the things of the world. Your heart is captivated with you. Your heart is captivated with your position. You love being rich and you love being young and you love being a ruler. And all of those one day will be stripped away and you're going to stand before God Almighty and God's going to hold up his holy character. The Ten Commandments are part of that. And you're going to go, woe is me, I'm undone. Right, And he's trying to get his heart posture captured. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus says this, as the rich young ruler goes away sad when he tells him to sell everything. Jesus seeing this said, said that he becomes sad. He said, man, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, I, I made the point a couple weeks ago how probably... 95 to 99% of us in this room are in the top 10 and maybe even the top 5% wealthiest people on the globe, right? So we think this, we think this passage applies to like four people, you know, Musk, Gates, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, and a couple, no, this applies to us, I think part of the reason the gospel is having such a hard time spreading in our culture is because we do love our wealth. Amen? It's gripped our hearts. That's why we're now $30 trillion in national debt. Because we're addicted to it. Jesus said, man, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, well, then my goodness, who can be saved? And Jesus says something really important here. What's impossible with man is what, church? It's possible with God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, it's a spiritual miracle. Like never think 
Like maybe you're, if you're, I have this kind of testimony. Maybe your testimony is like mine. Like I grew up in church. My parents were Christians. I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church, right? That was my drug problem. And so like, and that's you and you've just grown up. You've heard the story. You've heard the story. You've heard the story. And then it comes time to share a testimony. Like, well, my testimony is kind of boring. Like I grew up in church and one day God got a hold of my life. And like, here's the deal. You ready? The Bible says, apart from Christ, your heart is spiritually dead. And God, by his grace, John chapter three, born you again so that you could see the kingdom of God and you responded in repentance and belief. Praise be to God. That's a spiritual miracle. Amen. There's no such thing as a small thing of a person's as follower of Jesus. It's a spiritual miracle. And with God bringing dead people, with man bringing dead people back to life is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Here's what we're going to, here's how I'm going to give you the so what at the end of the sermon today. Here's what we're going to end the sermon. I want you to begin to pray for three people in your circle that don't know Christ and say, God, I cannot lead them to Jesus. All I can do is be the mouthpiece of Jesus. And I'm asking by your spirit and to have the opportunity to intersect with what you're already doing in your heart and in their heart and life. I'm praying that you will kick in the rebellious, stubborn, dead heart that's beating, that's not beating inside of them and have it beat again. And let me be the mouthpiece to introduce them to the one that gives them real life. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we want to begin to pray about that this morning. And so this is the starting place. It's, and one, one of the things I want you to determine is what's the starting place of their heart posture? Because the starting place of the gospel requires understanding the heart posture of a person. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the gospel of John, now, John the apostle gives us a little insight into Jesus, right? It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, and he, Jesus, is full of grace and what, church? So Jesus came with a ministry of, let's say it together, grace and truth. So here we go. Let's do it together, right? Jesus came with a ministry of grace and truth, right? And so Jesus, that's letter B, Jesus is full. So when we're presenting Christ, he's full of grace and truth. And so the language that we use behind the scenes at Coastal is we give law to the proud, we'll call that truth, and grace to the humble, So if a person's heart is hard and full of self, we want to hold the law up. We want to hold up the mirror of the righteousness of God to shock them into, man, I'm so full of me. I'm so full of pride. And if a person's beaten down with the weight of their sin and shame, then we want to say, hey, listen, I want to give you, I want to make sure you're understanding Jesus is full of grace and mercy and kindness and, and goodness. There's a, a huge error circulating in church life that says it's all about grace. Grace, 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 grace. It's just grace, right? It's grace, 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 okay? <clears throat> There's a song on the radio right now. It's a little bit older, but maybe you've heard, I don't even know the title of it. But the chorus of it says, grace wins every time. Have you heard that? Now, it's, I, I'm not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just trying to make, make sure you understand the riverbanks of the gospel. Because Jesus came, and it wasn't just grace, but it was grace and what? And truth, right? And so this is where heart posture, understanding a heart posture is very, very important. Because if there's grace without truth, then there's no place for correction, 
and there's no place for justice, and there's no place for discipline, and there's no place for healthy confrontation. The rich young ruler was full of himself and proud, and so what what does Jesus offer him? Truth, the law. Zacchaeus comes to Jesus humble. We're going to see why he was humble in just a minute. And so what does Jesus do? He offers him grace. By the way, I'm going to, I'm going to go down a parenting track for a minute. All right, free, free, this is not in your notes, free advice. Free advice, you can take it for what it's worth. I think sometimes as parents, we have to be careful to discern the heart posture of our children in the moment, right? And, and figure out, man, does this, does this, and it's not easy, right? And it takes being, paying attention, but is, does this child need grace in this moment? Or does this child need truth in this moment, right? And that's heart posture. It's attitude. And I've seen this a lot in my many, many, many years of ministry where uh, I've seen parents do this, especially with their adult children. Their ch- children are grown and gone, and we, the, their children will not be living in a habitual Christian lifestyle. They're living in some kind of habitual sin that would not reflect that maybe they're followers of Jesus. And we don't know, and that would be between them and the Lord. But, you know, from the outside looking in, we'd say, yeah, they're probably not a Christian, but this parent will declare something over the child, right? Well, I remember when they were seven, they walked an aisle, checked a card, raised a hand at camp, at church, at youth group. And so the parent will declare, I know they're a Christian, even though. And listen, all I would say to that moment is, hey, hey, maybe don't be so quick, at least in their presence, to declare them as a Christian, because maybe they're not. Like maybe you're, you're thinking you're doing discipleship when what they need is evangelism, right? You need to be praying that they're saved first, and listen, you're a good parent and you put the gospel in there, but I mean, we're still waiting for the Holy Spirit to do the work. I know when my kids, as they grew to be adults, like, you know, 13 to 20-ish when they were living under my roof, and if they were, if there was a sin, and of course they sin, and I sin, we all sin, like, I would sometimes pause and say, hey, hey, are you a Christian? I would just ask that question because if they say no, then I know, at least I know where I'm at, what I need to be working on and teaching and, t- and preaching at home, Right? Like, let's not be so quick and let's determine heart posture around the kid and say, man, is it grace or is it truth or is it grace? Heart posture, right? That was free advice. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Number two, we see the heart posture of Zacchaeus. So rich young girl is proud. He gets the law. Zacchaeus, however, gets grace, right? So Luke Luke chapter 19, verse 3. And so he was seeking, we see Luke, man. He, I mean, we see uh, here in Luke, we see that Zacchaeus can't get fast enough to Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus to, to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. So because he was small in stature, he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. Listen, Zacchaeus, letter A, doesn't make any excuses in pursuing Christ. He's like, I need Christ and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get there. And the reason is, Letter B is because Zacchaeus was not proud. Zacchaeus had all the worldly influences that the rich young ruler had. Authority, people looking up to him, wealth. But his heart is humbled, and we see this because he's eager to get to Christ. He's willing to humiliate himself if necessary and climb a tree because, you know, that would do, that's not something an adult would do. Listen, I, I, 
Some, one of the things, man, I love worshiping with you guys. I love it. I love singing with you guys. I love that you come in here and you're ready to sing and, and declare your belief and your trust in the, in the good news of Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, we took the Lord's Supper together. And one of the things that we do, and the reason I, uh, we set the elements out and we have you come forward, I know we don't do this all the time, but we do it often. The reason we do that is because I want you to be the testimony like, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, like when I'm sitting here and I'm sitting in the front row and I'm, and I'm watching you come forward, I, I certainly don't want everybody in this room, but I know so many of your stories and I'm watching you come forward and I know that you're here this morning and your spouse is not with you for some of you because they're not believers yet. And that's a hard thing and you're at home, but you choose to worship the Lord. And then you come here and you're feasting on Christ as you take the elements, the bread and the cup, and, and you're, you're reminding your heart, but you're also testifying to me, man, I, I'm humble and I need Christ. And I watch some of you come forward and I know that you just got a terrible health diagnosis. And it doesn't look good. And it looks like the calendar has limited the days that you have on the planet. And yet you could, you could be hard hearted. And instead you come forward and you feast on Christ. Thank you for doing that. You testify to me and you testify about what's going on in your heart. You testify to others. You're, you're, you're exalting. I will do whatever I need to do because your heart is humble. And you're saying, I need Christ. And I watch some of you come forward and I know that you've lost a loved one in the last 12 months and I know you're grieving and you're suffering and it could have made your heart hard and you could have turned away from the things of God, but instead you said, I still need Christ. Thank you for doing that. And some of you come forward and I know you've buried your child. Like I, I can't imagine as a parent a harder thing and you're coming forward and you're feasting on Christ. And I just want you to know, thank you. And Zacchaeus is like, man, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to get to Christ. That is grace to the humble, humble hearted. Amen. And so I want to thank you for coming and worshiping the Lord. And there's some of you here today, you haven't become a Christian yet. In fact, there's probably in a room this size, surely there's one or two people. If you're joining us online, you've tuned into Coastal Churches. Surely there's a couple people in line this morning that you, you, the, the Spirit of God's been tugging at you and the Word of God's been pulling at you. And, and Christ says, I want to set you free from your sin. I just want you to re repent and believe in me. But you've been worried about what your friends would think or worried about what your family would think or you, you know, you're worried about what others may think. And I want you to consider this. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, when it's all stripped away, all the stuff, all the pursuits, all the finances, and you stand before God Almighty, there's only one person that it really matters what they think, and that is our living creator, God. And he says there's one way to him, and it's through Jesus alone. Man, what is stopping you from receiving Christ? Amen? Man, because Zacchaeus, he, he was willing to throw all that aside and say, man, I will do whatever I need to do to get to Christ, which leads to number three. Jesus ultimately saved sinners. At the end of the day, Jesus saved sinners. I love Luke 19, verse five. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. So Zacchaeus is now on the tree. He looks up. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. Now, two things here. Letter A, first thing. How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Now, 
you know, somebody like he's Jesus, he knows everything. So it could be that. It definitely could be that, right? We were talking in our small group last week. We were talking about the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And a couple times, a couple of us said, you know, this is such a great prayer. I mean, it's such a perfect prayer. Like, yeah, it came from Jesus. Of course it's perfect, right? So, uh, so maybe he's God, right? And he just knows Zacchaeus' name. But I want to suggest to you, this is a total suggestion, okay? This is not a Bible verse. That This is Sean Brown's speculation, okay? Could it be that Zacchaeus got introduced to Jesus at a Levi party. Now, if you don't know what a Levi party is, in Luke chapter 5, Matthew, he's known as Matthew, Levi, he gets introduced to Christ, becomes a follower of Christ. He's so excited about the life change that Christ has made in his life. He throws a party and he invites all his lost friends to come and hang out with Jesus. Pretty cool, right? Uh, So check this out. Luke chapter five, verse 29. And Levi made him, made Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of who, guys? Of which Zacchaeus was one of those, right? And there and others that are reclining at the table. Now, two things I want to pull out of a Levi party. All right, number one, as Christians, we have a great danger of getting making church life, and it's very, very important, but it becomes everything on our calendar that eventually we don't have any lost people in our lives. Right. And one of the things that I'm constantly fighting for here at Coastal, you know, as we continue to grow, there's always like, hey, let's add this to the calendar. Let's add this to the calendar. Let's add this night and this worship night and this women's ministry, women's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, students ministry, small group ministry, and this missions. And all of a sudden you look at your calendar. It's like, man, I'm at church like 90 days this week, you know, and uh, and we and it's important. But what we lose sometimes is like, man, I don't I look up and all I know is Christians, and I like, sometimes Christians is like manure. You put a big pile of manure together, it stinks, but you spread it out over the garden, it does good things. Okay, so like, you know, sometimes it's that way. Like we're, we come together to be encouraged and to grow in the Lord, but then we go out on mission. Everybody with me? And some of us need to have some people in our lives that don't know Jesus. Throw a Levi party. Now, if those people are influencing you to do sinful things, you need to mature and grow up in Christ. Amen? You need to come to church a little more in small groups, surround yourself with believers so that you're not tempted to sin, but then you need to grow to where you can go out and say, hey, I want to be influencing the community at a Levi party. The second thing I want to pull from the Levi party, let's work with my illustration, that let's say Zacchaeus was there, Jesus has shared, talked about his ministry. You never know when and how God is going to use what you've done to do the spiritual thing in the life of someone else. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, Paul said, I planted, polished, watered, but God gave the increase, right? It's our job to share, to tell others about Jesus, to live and serve and invite, but it's not our job to save Jesus seeks and saves. It's our job to introduce. And we never know. So, so therefore, man, we don't have to get weird about it. We don't have to get annoyed. We don't have to enter into some kind of political debate, right? You know, it's, it's our job to say, oh, well, that's what Jesus says. It's up to, like, it's up to you. We, like, we never know 
how the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God in your interactions and, and encouraging someone. And so Jesus makes an emphatic command. It's not a request. Jesus actually says, I'm coming to your house. Now, some, this is where some people, you know, well, let me just say it this way. Jesus saves sinners. Now, that, on the surface, that sounds like really like kind of nebulous, right? This is where, so if you don't know what these two words are, um, you're probably better for it, okay? But, but if you've been in church life, you're going to hear these words like, are you an Arminian or are you a Calvinist? Some of you are like, what's he going to say? Let's divide the church, okay? Here's the deal, you ready? What about free will? What about free will? What about free will? Here's been my experience with Christ. Jesus Christ has changed my life. And if it takes Jesus Christ to kick in my stubborn, hearted, rebellious, I would even say, Jesus, take away my free will if my heart will be captured by you. In some regards, I don't care. Kick in the door of my heart if you have to, because I want you above all else. Amen? It's Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house, and ain't nobody can stop me. That was my experience. Jesus just invaded and took over and somehow captured my heart. And I praise God because quite frankly, left to myself, I would have just kept loving my sin. Amen? Now, without a doubt, in my spiritual journey, there was a moment where I felt like Jesus also drew the line in the sand and he said, you in, you out. <laughs> Which is it? And I, in some moment in my journey, I felt like I, I'm in. <clears throat> Count me in. Because that stuff I'm doing ain't giving me life at all. Amen? And so which is it? It's yes, Jesus seeks and saves the lost. Point number four, here we go. Genuine salvation. The overflow of Jesus and Zacchaeus being a worshiper of Jesus is we see genuine salvation. So in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. So here's what I want you to understand. Like this is not some random thought that Zacchaeus throws out there. Zacchaeus understood the law of God. I don't know if you know this, but Zacchaeus understood the law of God. In Leviticus chapter six, verse five, the Old Testament says that if you steal from someone and you want to make restitution, you make it with a 20% increase. So you give back what was stolen plus 20%. Exodus says, Moses says, that if you steal four sheep and you want to make restitution, you should return it with five sheep, okay? And so what is Zacchaeus doing? And by the way, Zacchaeus is not saying, if I stole, I know he says, if I stole from anybody, he knows darn well he stole from people, okay? And so Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was the chief of tax collectors. So let me give you the picture, okay? I want you to imagine that as an American, China, let's say China took over America, 
Some of you are like, they already have. Okay, so another conversation. But let's say, let's just say China to go. We are now subservient to the nation of China, and China collects taxes from us. Okay, and so on top of all the taxes you already pay, they now add ten percent more that goes to China. And to collect those taxes, they find Americans in each state or each community that goes and collects those taxes and sends them to China. And what the tax collectors would do is if China's asking for 10%, they would charge you 12% because they got the full backing of China behind them because we, whatever, we lost, they won. And so we get the full 12%. And so most of the tax collectors were Jewish tax collectors taking taxes from the Jews and giving it to the Roman government. How would you feel about the tax collectors? right? Pretty horrible. You would not like those Americans that were doing that for the Chinese, right? And so that's Zacchaeus. So when Zacchaeus says, if I've defrauded anybody, that's the reason he was rich, okay? He knew doggone well he defrauded people, and he also knew the law of God, and so he says, the law of God says this, I'm going to do it fourfold to make restitution. Here's what Zacchaeus is saying about himself. Zacchaeus is saying, I'm a thief, Everybody with me? I, I've stolen from my own countrymen. I'm the worst of the worst. See, when you humble yourself, you say what God says about you. You're not nebulous about your sin. This is what we tend to do. I, I, I messed up, but do, doesn't everybody? Doesn't everyone make mistakes? Some of you, 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 you can't heal your marriage because this is, this, is your, this is your confession to your spouse that you've wounded deeply. I know I've hurt you, but... You see, a genuine confession is something like this. You know what I, you know what I lied to you? I'm a liar. You, you know why I, I, I looked at that, that stuff on the internet? Because I'm an adulterer. You know why I use that substance every single night to take the edge off after a hard day's work? Because I'm an addict. And see, the, the Bible says if we keep this stuff inside, it like eats us away. There's actually a great freedom in saying, I am what the Bible says that I am. It's not just, yes, I'm a sinner. But it's, it's, let me name my particular sin and let's call it what it is. The psalmist writes, King David writes, Psalm 32, right? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away <laughs> through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Listen, one of the things that I try to do and we try to do at Coastal, I try to present the particular sins of the culture and be honest about them. Why? Not because I, I want to be a hate crimer or it's because the culture is, is zapping our souls as we run around thinking that sin is righteousness. See, the culture is going to tell you, and one in four women in America have gone this route. The culture is going to tell you that it's just a lump of cells. It's just a lump of cells. And then somewhere along the way, could be the next day, could be a week, could be a month, could be years, could be decades. We realize, you know what, I, 
think I killed my child. And if we don't process that with genuine confession, then we don't understand, by the way, Jesus paid for that and saves us from that. Amen? And by the way, if that's your story, like, Praise God for the gospel. Jesus saves us from that. And, and I can actually, myself, if you want to anonymously reach out to me, I can get you uh, with a partner here in our community. CareNet offers an incredible anonymous study called Surrendering Your Secret that will help you free yourself from shame and guilt on that. Right? The reason I p- talk about particular sexual sins of transgenderism and homosexuality, and by the way, heterosexual sins, sex before marriage, or sex outside of the bonds of your marriage. The reason I talk about these things particularly is because the culture's calling it righteousness, and I'm telling you the scriptures call it sin, and it's just leaving you in bondage. I don't want you in bondage. I want you to know the freedom that all of us sinners know. When we confess our particular sins and be honest about them and say, you know what, Christ died for that and Christ defeated that. And like Zacchaeus, man, I now have the freedom to go, man, I'm a thief and I want to make restitution and praise God I am set free in Christ. Amen. That's who I used to be. Now I'm this. Amen, church. And the overflow of Zacchaeus is a heart posture of generosity, right? That he's super generous. Listen, if you have a hard time with generosity, here's the deal. You ready? The gospel message has not sunk deeply into your heart. And I, God's given me so much. How can I not be a generous person? Zacchaeus becomes a very generous person. So here's how we're going to finish this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm out of time. So I'll invite the worship team up. And um, here's what I want to do. Get your note sheet out. Everybody get your note sheet out. Everybody get your note sheet out. I want you to write down three names, three names on your note sheet of people that to your knowledge don't yet know Jesus. And I'm not talking about like people way out there. I'm talking about people in your little world, your little circle of influence. And I want you to take your note sheet with you and I want you to put it where you'll see it over the next six to eight weeks. And I just want you to pray because it is Jesus that seeks and saves the lost. We join him in that mission, but he does the work. And so what we're going to do as a church over the next eight weeks, 10 weeks, we're going to pray, 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 and pray. And here's what's going to happen. God's going to have these people interact with you in your life. You're going to bring them goodies around the holiday season. You're going to bake them cookies. And if you want to make a plate for me, that's fine too. And uh, you're going to bake them goodies and you're going to put a Christmas Eve invite card. And we're going to pray and we're going to say, God, we're going to ask that, that, that you're, you're going to do the supernatural work that only you can do. And you're going to prepare their hearts so they can hear and receive the gospel of Jesus. Everybody good for that? That's the so what this morning. We're going to start praying for people. I want to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up under the screens right now. If before, as the service ends today, if you need prayer, don't leave without being prayed over. These folks are here to pray with you, ministry, share the gospel with you. If you want to know how to follow Jesus, man, they would love to talk to you about how to follow Christ for the first time. And, uh, and so let's begin to pray even now. I want you to bow your head. Let's pray for these three people. And then we're going to go out singing this morning. Heavenly Father, um, you've sent us on mission. There's people in our circle of influence you want us to minister to. down some names. It could be a could be a neighbor, co-worker, family member that maybe we'll see over the holidays, God. 
place where we bank, place where a restaurant we eat at, God, these people we're interacting with, we are on mission to exalt the gospel. And I pray, God, that you would do the spiritual walk, preparing the heart. And give us boldness, God, to invite or share or talk about spiritual things. Sowing the seeds, God, we never know how you're working, how that seed will grow roots in the heart of a part and mind of a person, the timing of when that seed will bear fruit, God. Because we are on mission to exalt Christ until the day that our faith becomes sight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Let's stand. Let's go out singing this morning. Stand and sing together.